Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 3. This episode goes to 11. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Chalabois. That's right. It is Season 3, Episode 11. We're back on the mic again. So much to talk about in the news. We got uh, Dairy Double Down. We got Pizzagate. Maybe we can call it Pizzagate. Uh, <laughs> Cash apparently isn't Delicious. king in the grocery aisles anymore. Uh, and much, much more. And our very special guest this episode, Shabnam Weber, President of the Tea and Herbal uh, Association of Canada. Marvelous. Marvelous leader in the industry. My goodness, well, she's so dynamic. You had, I believe, met uh, Shabnan before I did. We met her together when we were That's at right. the uh, Coffee Association and, and uh, had a great brief discussion. And, uh, yeah. and she was uh, generous enough to accept our offer to join us. So we'll get yes. to our interview with uh, Shabnan uh, in a bit. Uh, let's jump into the news. Now, first of all, you're pretty worked up about this Nestle decision to exit the freezer section with their pizzas and some other frozen staples. So, yeah. so. Of all I, things, I, don't, I don't like delivery, so I like delicio. <laughs> well, it's too bad because you're not going to get your delicio. It of all things, why are you paying? Of all things, why are you paying so much attention to this? What's going on? I think there's something going on. Uh, I mean, first of all, um, it, it is it is a huge company uh, mm-hmm. which occupies many skews in the freezer aisle, and the freezer mm-hmm. aisle is a pretty busy place these days because mm-hmm. the market really got more frugal. Uh, every time I go to the grocery store, and I was there twice uh, this weekend, uh, and honestly, it was the only thing I could do outside because it was freezing. And <laughs> it's cold where yeah, it's cold. You guys are now. And that that didn't this the grocery. I mean, if we go pre-COVID, like just pre-COVID, the the frozen aisles were getting a little sleepy. I mean, because people were walking the perimeter and shopping the perimeter of the store. COVID kind of resuscitated or I guess gave another lift to the frozen food section. Now you're also saying... They're getting another lift from economics and, and the price of well, food. Well, yeah. I mean, in 2022, for every restaurant that are open in Canada, two closed. So you can mm-hmm. see that really people are looking at food service very differently. And they're trying to uh, probably find ways to go out uh, while staying at home mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the freezer aisle is a friendly place to, to find new ideas. Nestle actually occupies many SKUs, and uh, I was just looking uh, on the weekend at uh, at a couple of grocery stores, and uh, I would say that probably Nestle occupies probably anywhere between fifteen to twenty doors. Really? Wow! It's, yeah, yeah, they, so it's they a, have it's big a, They're leaving behind a huge void now. Mm. I mean, I'm when I saw the news, I thought this is great. I mean, this is going to be great for our Canadian companies. Uh, we do yeah. have manufacturers in Canada manufacturing sure. pizzas and, and, and other mm-hmm. products. And, and of course we have private labels. So, but yeah. they're leaving in six months. Mm-hmm. That's not all. Well, and you and I, we've actually had yeah. people on our show yeah. telling us that to design a new product, to actually uh, yeah. launch a new product takes much longer than six months. So it's, they're, I think a lot of like grocers are looking at uh, let their mm. portfolio of products for their freezer aisle very differently this morning, knowing mm. that in six months from now, Nessie's leaving. Yeah. yeah. Well, and just for the listeners, I did a bit of research myself on how big this category was. I'm like, how, how big can frozen pizzas be? Globally, it's about a $15 billion category, and it's got about a 6% CAGR. So it's got good growth, and about half of that volume is in the state. So let's say seven billion for easy math and let's say ten to one for Canada, right? That could make sense, right? So what's that? Seven, you know, almost a billion. Now, 
two things came, came to my mind. One is when Nestle announced publicly that they were exiting, doesn't mean that's when they told the grocers, though, right? So the grocers could have had more heads up than six months. Possibly, um, yeah. And then my other thought is, you know, I was walking the aisles. They could, now, they could have known uh, since, uh, since November. Yeah. They could have known since, you know, hey, don't tell anybody, but, uh, you know, to maintain good, you know, you would think they would tell their partners, hey, we're going to leave and then tell the public in six months or whatever. Let's let's speculate there. Maybe some grocers that are listening might might drop us a line about that. And then, two, you know, I was walking the aisles myself and I was in I was in a Longo's, I was in a Sobeys, I was in a Costco um, and a Walmart this weekend. It was a busy weekend. And they all had significant private label. And what's uh, Dr. Oker? I saw Dr. Oker as well. It would seem to me that they could just, you're absolutely right about how long it takes to create a new product, but they could just ramp up production of the existing private label to well, close I that mean, gap. Last, you last think, week I was right? meeting with the executives of, um, uh, they, they, there's an association here in our region called the Atlantic Food Executives Club, mm-hmm. and they invite guest speakers every couple of months to talk to them. And I was invited for the third time on on Thursday of last week, and uh, mm. and guess what? Dr. Mm. Otker, McCain were uh-huh. uh, were in the room, and so we chatted. And of course, that was the big news that day. Yeah, so yeah. we talked yeah, about yeah. it, and and so uh, the Dr. Otker representative basically can't can't see how they can occupy or fill that that gap mm. left behind by Nestle. But I think you're right. I, I actually do think there's an opportunity similar to what we saw with the pause sale. Last year, between Frito-Lay and Loblaw, we saw a lot yeah. of, of yellow and, and white yeah. bags and, and, and smaller players coming into yeah. the market, yeah. getting more exposure. Like, I don't want to set some sort of conspiracy theory, but Nestle's exit, is it, is it really just an exit or is this really a stop sell? Just saying, you know what, oh, cost to sell here is just too high we're just leaving and that's it we, mm. which will provide an opportunity for many many players but at the same time maybe Nestle decided that you know what for that for those categories it's just it's not we can't be competitive interesting well i guess uh, we may or may not ever know again but your interest in this has it seemed to be kind of reading between the lines or actually reading the lines is more around well you know for it's a very cost effective medium so there's an impact on food affordability more than assortment i mean you don't really care about assortment in any category plus or minus really but it's really it's an interesting business issue but that's right you're a, li- you're a little more concerned about the you know the frozen aisle as a, as a as an affordable choice for consumers in across canada right yeah no absolutely and so so i think it's a plus it's just you know the time frame you're probably you're probably right i mean grocers knew mm probably months before and my guess if they knew before it was probably at the beginning of the blackout period when you know they make announcements about price increases a couple of months ahead of time and all that stuff so i I suspect that and of course nestle is still going to continue to do business uh on the confessory side Uh, they'll still they'll still be selling products to grocers so they wanted to maintain some some good relationships there but overall so but 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 it is an exit it's unfortunate but i was actually looking at the number of investments in food Mm. manufacturing canada over the last 12 months the list is pretty long i mean Mm. and they didn't make they didn't make it here as well we should add that point in case anybody missed. no plants are going to close here it's not that 
it's not that I don't see it as a big deal over time. It's mm. just that it's just that six months is making I think some people panic a little bit. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the latest uh, report from the lab on the cashless economy. It yeah, would seem, it would seem like many other retail environments, cashless is king. But your study talked about some interesting socioeconomic things about cash versus credit. Some apply to all retail, but I guess the fact that it, you know, this could be if I if I read the report right, that this could be a third rail type issue for grocers because, of course, food is seen as a necessity of life as it is, and you know, exactly. They, there's what, what did, you, what did the report say, 6% or 1.5 million yep. unbanked Canadians and cash? So, so take us through the report a little bit about why you were looking at this and, and how it's different in some ways uh, in the grocery aisle. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you remember how a uh, $10 bill looks like in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> it does, if it doesn't come out of an ATM, no. I mean, it's a 20 <laughs> To twenty or fifty. I mean, six percent of Canadians actually pay their grocers with cash. So, and that number, yeah. yeah, and that number will continue continue to drop. Yeah. The one thing that most Canadians don't know, uh, I think, is that there, there is no law obligating retailers and That's grocers right. to accept cash. Just yeah, like there's no so, law for to, that obligates any retailer to sell to you. It's the same thing. Exactly. At a higher order. Exactly. So we wanted to know, one, uh, is, is, is this seen as a problem by Canadians? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were a couple of interesting results. For one, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, the world is going cashless, and many, many people see it as a convenience. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite practical to just give sure. uh, plastic to your grocer and, and walk away without handling any cash. It's, it's quicker, it's faster. People love it. Uh, and, they earn, and, and they earn points, right? Let's, we'll talk about that points. later, but they, that's a big motivation. Sometimes they earn, uh, they earn uh, points for two programs, the grocer's loyalty program and points with credit yep. because we noticed that all, more than half of Canadians actually use their credit cards Mm-hmm. To actually accumulate points, so uh, so a lot of people are getting smarter out there, trying to save money as much as possible uh, with with plastic. Yeah. But uh, the, but there, there's a couple of issues that really came up in our results. One is privacy, because mm-hmm. when you actually give plastic to your grocer, you're giving a part of you away, right? You're li- sure. you're leaving a trace. Or participate in a loyalty program, by the way, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think people are aware of that. But we yeah. did hear of a couple of, of instances, uh, incidences before the before the uh, break, before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Two companies actually were victim of cyber attacks. And mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're, we still don't know whether or not databases uh, which contain um, mm-hmm. sensitive information uh, – from customers, uh, was there a breach there? So I think privacy is really becoming an issue for mm. for people in a in a digital cashless economy, if you will. Fifty three percent. It's not it's not huge, but it is the majority. And yeah. the other issue, even though the vast majority appreciate plastic and the convenience of of using either debit or credit to pay for uh, for groceries. Uh, 72% actually believe that if a grocer uh, decides not to accept cash, it would be seen as discriminatory, which I yeah, thought that, was very that's interesting. The part, that's the part I thought was super interesting. I mean, I learned a lot from the study, as I always do, but that part I zeroed in on. Like, if, you're, you know, if your furniture company doesn't, or your whatever, doesn't accept cash, that's one thing. But if a grocer doesn't accept cash, it seems it to Canadians food. that's different. It's food. 
It's food, and yeah. uh, and that's why I think it makes it. Even though the vast majority, I would say probably the vast majority of Canadians really couldn't care less about cash right now, and wouldn't have used cash yeah. for many and, and many to, days. <laughs> yeah, this they this, care. This, this, it, <laughs> this section brought to you by Rogers Communication, who reminded <laughs> people that cash is actually important sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but people do recognize the sh- social value mm. of. The socioeconomic value of, yeah. of cash, which I thought was really interesting, and mm-hmm. and also coming out of COVID, I thought that cash would be seen as a dirty thing, yeah. you know, because there were a lot there were a lot of talks about yeah. you know, cash being a, a a way to spread viruses and germs. A and yeah, a vector. Of only seventeen percent yeah. of Canadians are concerned about that. I was well, surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually surprising. It's that high in some ways. I mean, I think we learned that, you know. <laughs> Notwithstanding but, but me money, spritz, spritzing everything during Let's face COVID. it. Yeah. Well, it, 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 but, you know, how much sticks? Anyway, you know, the irony of all this, of course, and, and we, we, we'll move on to our next thing, is as an operator, um, it's really interesting because on the one hand, cash is, uh, it, it's not unexpensive to handle. There is some handling yeah. charge to cash, oh. but there's, right? I mean, you've got, you, now you've got to cash. human error. There's, there's, there's different and, things and that you've got, yeah, you've just got to exactly. handle it. I mean, you've just got to handle it, right? Somebody's got to take cash. It's got to get deposited. There's a truck that's got to come to the business. You know, these large exactly. groceries, they got to roll a, a Brinks truck to pick up the cash. So it's not zero handling, but compared to some of the swipe fees, and this is the irony, right? Is that consumers who earn these big point points when they buy their groceries in some instances, not all, you know, really, that it's resulting in high swipe fees that then result in you know higher costs at the exactly. grocery aisle. So, you know, nothing's free in this world. Let's just put it that way. No, exactly. Um, do you see over time that it'd be really interesting to do this kind of as a what would you call a linear study, right? Because I think if you did this ten years ago, you'd get a different result. Now, ten years from now, what would the result be? Would be super interesting, you know. Well, what it's I mean? like the it's like the self uh, self checkouts. I mean, ten years ago, everyone hated them. Right. 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 Thank you, but COVID. Today, right? But today, I would say the the minority yeah. Canadians are actually are concerned about uh, about self checkouts, uh, seeing them as uh, sure as instruments to kill jobs. I I, yeah, I think yeah. ma- many Canadians actually see understands the mm. economics of food retailing a lot, a lot better now. In my well, view. they also they also know that you know they anyone who reads papers knows it's hard to find people, so it's not like there's jobs you know left aside from these things there's you can't find the people to do the work in many not all instances to begin with exactly let's shift gears a little bit dairy dairy double down uh there's a (laughs) bunch of dairy issues here i thought i'd float a trial balloon about the various dairy (laughs) various dairy issues the past couple of weeks now Let's start with that session you had and others. Uh, you had an opportunity to ask Le Grand Fromage, the big cheeses, so to speak, yes. about some pretty pointed questions. Doesn't mean you got pointed answers. Like, I think you asked him, like, how much milk gets dumped down the drain? What, what did you learn from your inquiries of, um, of the Canadian, what was it, the Canadian Dairy Council? The Canadian Dairy Commission, Commission uh, which right. is a crown corporation, and they have... Uh, they have a, an information session every year. Uh, it is public, but the difference this year is that they actually bragged about it. <laughs> they said, please come and join us. So I went and joined them. Right. And uh, so there was a presentation for about 15, 20 minutes. And frankly, the, the, it was okay, but they, they, it lacked detail. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. it, 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 they weren't there wasn't a whole lot of details in terms of you know what's going on with the dairy economy in Canada prices uh, things that actually would be relevant to consumers mm-hmm. and so I basically asked a couple of questions the first one was about milk uh, milk uh, waste uh, on the farm and if there is one uh, one agency that would know or should you, know you how much think? waste is out there, it should be the Canadian Dairy Commission. And and mm. basically answered, and it was it is recorded, uh, and they actually read my question and they said who actually was asking the question. <laughs> it was kind of I I, I almost Satan said, wants no, to don't, know. <laughs> don't mention my name, please. But they did, anyways. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they they basically yeah. couldn't say they didn't answer at all, and they didn't follow up either. They didn't say you know. We don't know the answer, but we'll get back to you. There was no "let's get back to you." And the so other, let's, let, qu- let's be clear on this. So they couldn't or wouldn't answer. They, I think you said that they didn't. That sorry, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe their response was, "We don't know." Is that a fair characteristic I, of their response? That would be. That's the answer I got. But I, I find it very hard to believe that they wouldn't know. Hmm. Well, could it be? Don't ask. Don't tell. Don't give me the information, so I don't have to reveal it. Well, I mean, last night on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, but mm. uh, one dairy farmer in Ontario, which which I think was uh, did something that I thought was really uh, honest, is that he started to say, you know what, I'm going to start. I've dumped milk last year, nine thousand mm. liters or whatever, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and inviting colleagues to do the same. Mm. So, because the the problem is not are not farmers. Dairy farmers are, are victims. It's the board. The board mm. boards are politicizing the issue of waste. Mm. And and they're the same. The DFO is the one that asks uh, as this one dairy farmer in the video to dump 30,000 liters of milk. The people, what people don't understand is that dairy farmers are part of a pool. It's not necessarily because mm-hmm. he was producing too much. He was asked to dump milk because mm. the pool was producing too much milk. The pool was overflowing, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, other farmers did get a call as well, but they mm. never filmed the video. I mean, filming a video takes a lot of guts. Well, oh if, if you if, yeah, if you walked over to your sociology department and your fellow professors, would they call that a class traitors to move revolutions forward? Right, someone who is. He's, in the he class. Was a whistleblower. He's a whistleblower. He's a whistleblower I mean, in, in yeah. a sense. I, 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 so what do you think is going to happen to Because uh, right now what's going on is that dairy farmers are pointing at him saying he's incompetent, yeah. he's irresponsible, even though he's mm. been actually in the industry for 43 years. You got academics saying, you know what, let's normalize the issue because milk dumping happens and these are the reasons why. And I'm saying, you know what, we have supply management. We can mm. actually eliminate all food waste with mm. with supply management by by setting up a good system, a strategic reserve. We have one for butter. Why not one mm. for powdered milk? In Kingston, uh, Canadian taxpayers and Ontario taxpayers actually partially subsidize a plant built by the Chinese mm. to process Canadian milk and all those and all that milk is now processed and shipped to China. China. Yeah, we've talked and about that before. So why mm-hmm. couldn't we do the same in Canada with and, a, a Canadian-owned company? And there's a process for this, right? It, you've written a report, or there's a, there's a scientific process for this. We've talked about it before, where you take milk and turn it into powder. Is it? Is have I got that yeah. right? You yeah, can yeah. dehydrate and keep it for two years. And like I said, you can actually create a strategic reserve 
for these products as a buffer between you know the process and selling yeah, yeah. because of course yeah. you have to find new markets that's what they're doing with maple syrup mm. in quebec by the way yeah, uh, yeah that's what the chinese are doing with pork uh, that's what we're doing yeah. with butter in canada and that yeah. and that strategic reserve is run by guess who the mm. canadian dairy commission oh, so you charge the cdc with the task of setting up a parallel distribution strategy for mm. Wasted milk or milk surpluses, if you will, and create a new category. It's really simple. One, make it illegal to dump. Yeah. So you create an incentive to change. And then two, you mandate the CDC with, with, uh, with, this, uh, with the task of finding a new market for surpluses. There's always going to be surpluses. Hmm. Uh, speaking of which, just before we get to our interview, I want to break and get to our interview with uh, Shabnam from... Uh, the Tea and Herbal Association. Um, it seems like supply management works in some context because you and I have been talking on mic a little bit, off mic a little bit around the situation with eggs in U.S. versus Canada. Yes. In, the, in the U.S., it's more of a crisis. Here, oh it's not goodness. a crisis, which, and, and this all ladders back to the avian flu. But basically, if I, if I understand correctly what you've been saying, it's we're in a good, we're in a better place because eggs are, are supply managed. So there is a benefit and upside to supply management right oh absolutely and uh i, I know that market upson would love me for for saying that but i mm. do believe that vertical coordination actually is helping helping the industry deal with this menace called the avian flu yeah. uh, in the united states there is no there's some coordination but not as much as here i mean mm. so egg prices have gone up 60 percent year to year in the united states six in zero Canada, 60%. six zero what's here happened here here it's about sixteen to seventeen percent. Right. That so, re so that reflects the higher cost of because of the avian flu, the processing. But it's not sixty. It's not, and and there's it's I've, not been 60 to, yet. I've been talking to some friends in the states. They're finding eggs a little harder to find these days, right? There are no shortages either in Canada yeah, because provinces are working together, and so so there are there are advantages uh, by having supply management. Mm. I know that a lot of people think that I'm against the quota system. I actually am not. I actually mm. do think there are ways to make mm -hmm. the system work for all of us, mm. especially in dairy. In eggs and poultry, I really have little or no issues because even without the quota system, my guess is that uh, both the egg industry that we have in Canada and poultry would be competitive. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a break from the news and get the tea, as the, the kids tea. would say, uh, from a very <laughs> special guest. Now, this is the recorded Oceanside. So every now and then you'll hear a sound, and it's the sound of the water breaking at 5 o'clock in the morning on the beach in, uh, in Hawaii. Maui. Hawaii. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, 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 I struggle with how to understand time change, apparently, because I'm like, <laughs> my God, I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. But it was a wonderful interview, and it was it a beautiful was. time. It's a beautiful time to be awake, actually. Watch the sunrise. Uh, so anyway, let's get to uh, our interview with Shabnam Weber, president of the Tea and Herbal Association of Canada. All right. We're very pleased to have a special guest today, uh, Shabnam Weber, president and tea, uh, of Tea and Herbal Association of Canada. Shabnam, welcome to our podcast. Well, hello, and thank you so much for having me, Silva and, uh, and Michael. It's great to be here. Hi, hi. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So, just to start things off, uh, Shabnan, uh, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what you actually do for a living. What uh, what does a president of uh, TN Herbal Association of Canada 
does do every every day? Well, um, you know, this is one of those questions that I try desperately to get into an elevator pitch. I haven't quite managed, but I'll do my best. So, um, my background is uh, I've been in tea for the last 20 years. Um, I was actually on the commercial side of it. I owned my own business for, gosh, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. Um, I divested from my tea business. I had my company here in Toronto um, about four years ago or five years ago, 2018, when I was offered the position of president of the Teen Herbal Association of Canada. So the association is a not-for-profit. Um, we are membership-based, and our job really is to, in a nutshell, protect the industry, promote the industry, um, speak on behalf of the industry when it comes to things like issue management and, and, and government relations. Um, and then, you know, lots of fun stuff like uh, the conference that we run, some networking, which is where you and I met, Sylvain. Um, so I, I would say that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. So when you talk about the industry, uh, what kind of companies are included uh, when you say industry? Are we talking importers, coffee shops? Who are they? Yeah, so um, our membership is actually very, very broad. Um, we're unique in that as an association, we have as members pretty much everybody within the supply chain from A to Z. So that starts at the grower level. Um, the uh, We've got some tea boards, uh, so Tea Board of India, Tea Board of Sri Lanka, Tea Board of Kenya. So those are on the government level in those producing countries. Importers, as you mentioned, um, packers, large packers, names that you know and brands that you know and love on the supermarket shelves to medium and smaller size. Um, and then, again, retailers, large and small, um, as well as students. Uh, we run a really fabulous tea sommelier program, and uh, we've got a whole series of graduates that are members. So everything from multinational, multi-million dollar companies to individuals who have completed our certification program. So as you can imagine, the needs and demands of, uh, of each of those are quite, quite different from each other. A tea sommelier program. Wow. Yes. How long does it take to become a tea sommelier? <laughs> um, well, the tea sommelier program takes approximately a year, I'd say. It's, it's pretty intense. It's, um, it's eight modules, and I'm really, really proud of this program. It's, it's actually my baby. I wrote it for the association uh, over 10 years ago when I was still in my private business. Um, but yeah, we've had, we have well over 300 graduates of the program around the globe at this point, and we've had thousands take the actual courses. Um, some that, you know, don't want to take the full certification, but just take some modules here and there. Huh, wow. So <laughs> your, your, your association is called the Tea and Herbal Association of Canada. Yes. How, how significant is the herbal part of your group? Is, is there a division there, or is, is everyone actually involved in, in both kind of um, verticals there? Yeah, no, I would say vertically integrated um, because, I mean, if you look at pretty much every tea company that's out there, they have herbals um, within their product range. So, you know, there's there's pure tea that comes from the plant Camellia sinensis. I don't want to get 
you know, chew in the weeds here about, you know, tea education. Um, but uh, uh, herbals are anything that we brew like tea that doesn't actually have a tea leaf in it. So chamomile, peppermint, those types of things. And if you think of your favorite tea brands, they have everything from, you know, your English breakfast, your orange picos, and your green teas right straight to your evening um, uh, chamomile and peppermint blends. Mm, that's great. So you've been involved in uh, in the industry for a long time. Um, how do you feel about the next ten years for the for the for the industry overall uh, for tea and herbal? Uh, how how do you see the next ten years evolve? To be honest with you, Sylvain, I am uh, I'm an eternal optimist. Um, I'm in tea because I love tea. I'm I'm I run the association because I love tea. Um, it's not. You know, it's, 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 I don't come from an association background. My love for the job that I have is purely in, in, in the product itself. So um, I am an eternal optimist, and I think that the future is really quite rife for the success and the growth of tea and herbal um, within Canada and, 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 and beyond. You know, I get asked the question quite often, do you think tea will ever be as popular as coffee? And I got to tell you, my response every single time is, hang on a second, it already is. Just because it's not the most consumed beverage in Canada or in, in or North America or Europe doesn't mean that it's inferior to coffee. Tea is, in fact, the second most consumed beverage on the planet next to water. So, you know, it's, it's, it's plays such an important role in so many different countries and cultures around the globe. But I think that, you know, with an emphasis on health and wellness and, 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 you know, getting centered and, and, and living a life that is, um, perhaps calmer. I think that, uh, you know, tea really, really places itself in a good place, um, as the beverage of choice. Is it also the case with a lot of new Canadians that uh, many are coming from tea drinking cultures? So would you yeah. envision in the next 10 years uh, the percentage of Canadians drinking tea yeah. on the whole going up, down, or sideways? How do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. That's um, that's a really, really good point to bring up because um, that is the reality. As I said, it's the most consumed beverage in the world next to water, and it's so important in so many cultures around the world. Um, and it's you know, those are habits and traditions that people bring with themselves mm -hmm. wherever it is that they live. So I think that that's definitely a factor. And because of that, I think that we're going to see more varieties and more types of teas um, available to all of us in our you know regular supermarket grocery store shopping. Let's uh, change course for a little bit and talk about uh, industry and industry challenges and what's on mm -hmm. your agenda in terms of files as an association. What are the what are the challenges? Of course, as a as we, as Sylvain and I often talk about uh, relations yeah. with uh, relations with grocers, relation, mm. relations with uh, restaurant industry. What what are the top two or three things? Government, perhaps. Uh, what are the top two yeah. or three things that uh, that are files on the top of your desk? Um, well, let me start quite um, on, on on the the, the bigger scope, and that would be globally. Um, I think as an entire industry, globally, our our challenge is very similar to really so many agricultural products um, and that sustainability and you know for us sustainability is environmental sustainability economic sustainability and um, and living wages and you know these are these are all important 
important um, subjects and topics that uh, the industry takes very seriously, has been working on um, quite aggressively for, for a number of years in order to try to address them. Um, to be quite frank with you, you know, most of, if not all of these topics, um, come back to one fundamental conversation, um, and that's the, the value of the product and, and, and how much that product is sold for in, in, in our grocery stores. You know, I, I think as is, consumers... Is fair trade, is fair trade I, we often think, or I think, yeah. in my mind, fair trade coffee, is fair trade a, a thing in tea? Oh, yeah. or, like, what, what's the composition of the tea grower? Is it is it mostly large organizations, yeah. large growers, or is it a mix of small? Uh, talk about that a bit. So, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. So fair trade is a concept um, because fair trade is a brand, right? Um, mm-hmm. So fair mm-hmm. trade for sure as a brand is part of uh, of tea growing. Um, as a concept, the tea world or, or globally the tea industry um, it does most of its certification through Rainforest Alliance. Okay. Um, and Rainforest Alliance, that's that, you know, that green frog that you see on, on, on your product is mm-hmm. very much those principles of fair trade and, and, and ensuring that fair wages are indeed received across to consume, um, you know, to where your tea is coming from. Um, in terms of the, the, the makeup, um, over 60% of the tea that is produced in the world actually comes from small growers. So small holders. Um, and, and, and I think that that's a little known fact about the tea industry because, you know, we tend to think of multinational global players within the industry and they are definitely present, but the majority of it are smallholders. And, and, and that's very much a conversation when it comes to sustainability. That is and, and just as a reference, so, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, uh, Shabnam, as a reference, who are the top tea producers in the world? Well, the top producers in the world are um, China and India. They are not the largest exporter, however, because um, they tend to produce um, a lot of tea that is kept within the country for domestic consumption. The largest exporter of tea in the world is actually Kenya. Kenya. Um, which, I was going to yeah, guess Sri Lanka. I was going to guess Sri Lanka. But. Yeah, so um, Sri Lanka is definitely in the top three when it comes to production, um, uh, you know, within the global trade. But the largest exporter is actually Kenya. And again, Sri Lanka, not because they don't produce a lot of tea. They definitely do and a lot of excellent teas. Um, but there's a lot of domestic consumption as well, right? So when we're talking about China and India and Sri Lanka, they are tea-consuming countries as well as tea-producing countries, um, whereas Kenya tends to export a lot of uh, what it produces. All right. So globally, that's, uh, there's some similarities with many industries, you know, taking care of the people who make Definitely. the product and the environment. Yeah. Let's, let's bring it back to, to Canada. You talked about the price is always important, uh, but not it's always consequential and relations with, uh, with the grocers and the sellers. What are, what are, what else is on your desk? Yeah. So, um, that would sort of be on, on that global, um, larger scale. And, uh, for me and, and the industry at the moment, what's front and center is, um, a conversation that, uh, you know, we've been having with health Canada, um, for quite some time. And, and, and that's promoting the health benefits of tea. We know that tea is healthy for us. Um, you know, if, if I do a poll at this point, you know, versus 20 years ago, um, the inherent health benefits of tea are simply, it's a given. Most people, most consumers understand that tea is good for us. Um, what's become really, really interesting for us within tea and what got us all really energized and excited at the moment is a study that was released 
um, towards the end of last year, uh, the late fall of last year, on the importance of flavonoids in our diet. And flavonoids, um, as, as you may know, are, are bioactives. Um, and bioactives are—they just—they—they um, they play a really, really important role in human health. Um, they are naturally occurring compounds that are available in foods and are really critical for our health and well-being. And you know, a conversation that uh, I've definitely started with Health Canada and 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 I'm now having with some uh, government officials on various levels is to expand the conversation that government nutritionists doctors have with Canadians about how to live a healthy life. We've always talked about vitamins and the importance of vitamins and, and they are critical to you know healthy living. But we know so much more today than we did and we know that it's not just about vitamins. Um, you know, doctors and scientists and nutritionists are talking so much about the importance of bioactives at this point. And, 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 and bioactives are what lead to, you know, helping to reduce the risk of heart disease and cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And these are all things that we know have been on a rise, not just in Canada, but around the globe. And unfortunately, have even seen a spike during covid you know, um, heart disease is the number one killer around the globe. Yeah. And if we can start to talk about positive changes and positive things that people can do, then I think we should all be on board for that. And, and, and for tea, what does that mean? You know, bioactive flavonoids you can get from many, many different foods and, 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 and vegetables. Blueberries, for example, are, are a prime example of it and apples. Um, but tea has the highest amount of antioxidants, sorry, flavonoids. Um, than any other food product. You only need two and a half, between two, two and a half and, and, and four cups, because you know flavonoid numbers are sort of all over the place on the types of teas that you have. Sure. But between two to four cups of tea meets what this study that was released at the end of last year meets what their recommended daily dose of flavonoids are. It's so easily, and it's right, it's so easy, it's so accessible. Why not? you know, talk to Canadians about that. And, and, and so that's really top of mind. And, and I have to say a project that I'm quite excited about um, pushing yeah. forward. I was going to say your passion is coming right through the microphone. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just one. looking at the food guide, the, that was, yeah. which was introduced in 2019. As you know, Shabnam, uh, tea is not uh, no. well positioned. No. At no. all. Well, it's so that, to be quite frank with you, no beverages. Right? Do you see any beverages yeah. on that? Right? There's, well, there's a glass tea of water. Is, is, is lumped into colas, coffee, and some yeah. energy drinks. Exactly. <laughs> and and what you just described to us, yeah. uh, it, it's way beyond that. I mean, tea should be positioned very differently. Way beyond that. And, and, and I think that that's another really important you know, message is you know, Canadians, and not just Canadians, people around the globe have drastically changed the way that we're consuming calories. Right. You look at that food plate and it's all about food. And, you know, of course, food is important. But, you know, the, the, the rise in functional beverages has been astronomical mm -hmm. over the last few years. Um, and, and, and nothing in that food guide really directs people to, you know, how to consume healthy calories 
through beverages. And, you know, as you just pointed out, when you're lumping tea in with a cola, I really have to question, um, you know, the value of what some of that information is really about. Yeah, very, very different things. Um, we saw you last at the uh, the coffee conference, Coffee Association yes. Canada conference. Yes. And, and were you there doing covert intel work? or, or <laughs> You weren't very covert, but, uh, no. you, you know, is it is it kind of, well, we all own the hot beverage category, so let's yeah. work together. What's your association with uh, with coffee, your association associations with coffee, so to speak? Yeah, so um, nothing covert for sure. Um, I, I, I wasn't a wallflower, so <laughs> <laughs> I was not in disguise. Um, to be quite honest with you, so many of the subjects and topics that we deal with as industries, um, we share, you know, on the topic of sustainability, for example, um, you know, on, on, on the topic of, uh, you know, uh, people's uh, preferences in, in how they consume their food and calories and beverages, etc. We share a lot of mutual concerns within the industry. And, and I'm always have always and will always be a big believer in collaboration and, and, and working together with partners um, to be stronger. Um, you know, for sure, I, I drink a cup of coffee, shocker. Um, I do. And I, and I, I enjoy my coffee. I do. Um, it's not about doing one thing exclusively over another. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, if we, if we all work together on some of these larger subjects, we would probably be able to push them further along. So I work um, quite closely with the Coffee Association of Canada, as well as other colleagues and other associations in tea globally. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the one thing people don't know about tea? you wish they knew it's the most delicious beverage out there um and uh, you know uh, people usually expect me to say health 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 and it is it's healthy for you but my message always when it comes to tea is i drink tea because i love the taste i genuinely love tea and there are so many different types of teas out there just because you've had one that you may not like doesn't mean you don't like tea. And please believe me on that. There are black teas and green teas. There are oolongs. There are white teas. There's pu'er. And those are just the straight teas. Then you start blending and flavoring and combining and, and doing botanicals. And, you know, it's absolutely endless. So I drink it because I love it. The fact that it's good for me is the bonus. And when people ask me, you know, what is the healthiest tea for me? My answer every single time is the one that you like best because that's the one you're going to drink the most of. So I never start with tea is healthy for you, although it is. Um, I always, my message is about the flavor and taste and how comforting and beautiful this beverage is. Yeah. I was actually ju- just going to ask you about your 30 second pitch for tea, but uh, you just I think we did just it, got so. it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know what we what we haven't asked you is um, what's your favorite uh, cup of tea? If you it, it, does it change by you know what is your morning cup of or tea? evening? Yeah. yeah, what's your yeah. Cup, what's, what's your my cup, cup of tea? tea? What's my cup of tea? Um, so it does change to some extent. Um, I tend to start my day with a strong cup of black tea. Um, I grew up with that, and it's just it's it's my comfort place. Um, I put a splash of milk into it, uh, so a strong cup of black tea. It could be a nice strong Indian tea, a nice strong Sri Lankan tea, or a nice strong Kenyan tea. 
Um, and uh, But everybody who knows me knows that if I have a gun to my head and I have to choose one single tea, it's always going to be an oolong. Oh, all right. I there love my oolongs, and those are partially oxidized teas. You notice how my voice completely changes when I say I know, I know. Exactly. <laughs> oh my Lots goodness. of emotion there. I yeah, know, I, I need know. to try one of those. It's <laughs> gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous and velvety and and aromatic and delicious and yeah, happy place. All right, mm. I, I'm very thirsty now for <laughs> yes, a couple of absolutely. Shannon, uh, how we uh, how could folks go learn even more about uh, about tea and and your association and what you do? Where should they go? Uh, well, our website is so simple, Michael, t.ca, T-E-A dot C-A, does not get easier than that. Yeah. Um, loads of education and information. We, we, we change things up on the website all the time to make it interesting for consumers. Um, we're also very active on social media. So at Canada T, that would be on Instagram, on Twitter, um, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. Um, and if you really want to learn more about tea, check out our tea sommelier program and that you'll find, you can find the links through tea.ca or also very simple teasommelier.com is our website as well. So loads of information out there. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the Food Professor podcast. Great, uh, great to get to know the, uh, great to get to know you better and the association better and, and learn more about tea. Every time you and I speak, I learn more about it. So thanks again for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you to both of you. And I hope you, um, you know, get off this chat and uh, make yourself a cup of tea. All right. <laughs> All the best to you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, well, great interview. I mean, I, I, um, I knew of the Tea Association because I, I don't know if we talked about this. In, in first part of my career, I worked in the disposable cup business, Lily Cup and Dixie Cup. So I was That's a right. cup yes. person. Making a billion, and of course, uh, a lot of what we did was talk to the different associations. So I knew of, they existed, but I was really intrigued. You know, talk about the social justice, the global impact. You know, the who makes the most amount of tea, and and um, I thought it was a great interview. I mean, so articulate. It was, so it was. It was really interesting to listen to. Yeah, when I met the Shabnan uh, last fall, I, I arrived, and uh, she wanted me to talk for half an hour. Hmm. As a keynote at her conference, and I, I and I told I arrived. I told her I don't I don't feel like talking <laughs> to people. I, I'd I'd yeah. love to you know ha, I'd love to have a fireside chat with you. Yeah, yeah. And, she said, and that was like an hour before. Right. And she said no problem. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Love her. Clearly, clearly love dynamic. Her. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now uh, let's uh, wrap up a couple of things. Um, you wrote an op-ed for the Globe and Mail, basically, you know, calling out for the hard discounters, as they're known in the grocery space, Aldi, Lidl, to come to Canada. Now we already have two of the biggest international retailers as part of the top five in Canada. Now, why do you think two more these folks would make a difference structurally into Canadians? No, I wouldn't say two more. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say two different business or a different business model. Okay. That's kind of okay. what I was suggesting. And that's what's missing in Canada. Uh, when you read my column, what did you think? Were you surprised? Well, you know, it's a long been talked about these hard discounters coming to Canada. And, you know, in the States, Aldi has not been wildly successful. Um, and it's a very competitive market. Well, they market. have 2,500 stores. Well, hey, I got three percent market share. I mean, they're 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 not nothing, but they're pretty small 
in the context of America, right? Well, because it's, um, it's a busy place. Little has had some issues for sure, because they yeah. started in 2017, I believe, and they don't have 200 stores yet. So they've struggled a little bit. But Aldi has been doing okay versus mm. Little. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So, so basically, you're, the tenor of your argument was that we don't have genuine discount stores. Now, the grocers would probably disagree. There's lots of formats that they say they strip out costs. You your perception is that they don't go far enough, basically, and you need someone else to come in and show them how it's done? Well, it's the in- independency of grocery uh, mm-hmm. discounting, basically, that's missing in Canada. I mean, all the mm-hmm. – uh, I mean, I know that a lot of people think that no frills is, is, all, is all about minimalizing everything, mm-hmm. but um, but they, they have this external influence – because they're owned by Loblaw. Same for uh, Freshco, Spercy, uh, Maxi in Quebec. I mean, all of these banners are influenced by the Grand Puba, the mothership. Mm-hmm. Well, Little is the mothership, and Aldi mm-hmm. is the mothership. There's no other. There's no other divisions. Mm-hmm. So the, the the commitment toward discount uh, groceries is absolutely clear. And there's mm. no compromise. And I lived in Austria for one year and went to mm. Aldi and Little every second day. And mm. I mm-hmm. I felt the difference. Uh, with Aldi, there's there are more brands than mm-hmm. Little, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, I would say that the difference is pretty pretty significant. And uh, and prices really reflected that. Interesting. Well, I, I mean, it's a topic for another episode. Well, many other episodes. But I mean, basically, the the idea would be that size gives them a bigger buying pencil than they could ever have so that you've got you know yes Loblaws owns uh, a lot of banners but it b gives them you know when they're talking to folks like nestle it gives them a, a huge pencil so therefore that should translate into better costs and in the discount format they strip out some things and voila you got good prices for for canadians but you think that there's more more work to be done basically and I, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, I, I mm. as you know, Michael, I'm a big fan of the code of uh, conduct that is being proposed. Uh, I think uh, it is a step in the right direction. Uh, I don't believe that Little and Aldi will enter the game market because it's it's a really tough market. Uh, it's we're 38 million people in yeah. one of the largest countries in the world, so distribution costs are very very yeah. uh, prohibitive. And so I, I get that, but I do think that we need a disruptor. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. every time there's there's a menace, mm-hmm. you can feel that grocers are are shaken up and they're and they're and they're yeah. fighting for their market share, and that's when mm-hmm. you see discounts. Yeah. Remember Target when it entered the game market uh, in 2014? You saw a bit of a price war going on for a while. Amazon Fresh's uh, announcement a few years ago, basically suggesting that perhaps we could go to yeah. Canada. Look, Again, and look how sh- that worked out, by the way. Amazon <laughs> Fresh announced last week they're slow in their roll on the I stores. Don't, they don't have it right. I mean, I don't this think they've is, actually opened a new store since September. Well, they've got five of them opened. Uh, so they built and they got zombie stores. I mean, basically, Amazon in their last results, which was last week, said, well, hey, we don't think we've got it right. I'm paraphrasing. We're slow on our roll on grocery, all of which highlights how, how complex and difficult it is when Amazon can't figure it out. Um, and they were the disruptor. Well, they didn't disrupt anything, as it turns no. out. No, right. but but like, I, I think you understand what I mean. I mean, as soon as you you hear there's a there's a there's a threat. Sure. 
Sure. Whether it's sure. perceived or real, yeah. it really shakes things up. And I, I yeah. think right now, I think the, it's your two examples, though. I think teaches us that when people rattle the sword, uh, not to get too carried away, because it seems like you know we know what they, happened to Target, right? And, well, I, I just think that a, a menace will actually make yeah. our grocers even better and stronger. All right. And, All right. And, I mean, tar. Target. Well, I mean, that there, there was a load of problems yeah, there's a there. Bunch of problems with that, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, but a whole other. Generally thing. speaking, when you see a new player coming in, and mm-hmm. as you know, Michael, I'm following very closely Kostal, which I think could be uh, no, no. a potential disruptor in the grocery business, uh, whether it's in Canada or elsewhere around the world. But mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. I do see Kostal as a disruptor, and the other rumor that I'm hearing is a potential. Acquisition of, of Metro uh, of of Save on Foods by Metro. That that is another hmm. possibility uh, in the new future. Uh, hmm. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I've heard that rumor more than once now. Yeah, well, I mean, they're one of the last remaining indies in the country, so it's no question that lots of people are going to make rumors about who could buy them. Well, Save I mean, on Foods is not really an indie anymore. I mean, it's it's becoming pretty big. Well, yeah, but they're owned by the Patterson Group, right? They're, yeah, we're thinking of the same one. So I don't know. I don't know if Jimmy Patterson, you know, is interested in. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, interesting. Um, yeah. Last, last but not least, our friend who was a guest on the show, uh, Yannick Gervais at Omel, uh, is Oli Mel. Oli Mel. Oli Mel. I practiced that all morning. You know, our rehearsal think, went so well. I think well. right now it's holy smoke. <laughs> well, what's going on? He's he's uh, you know he talked quite eloquently. Um, art- he articulated how sc- size and scale was very important in the processing business. And, yep. But it seems like there he's is he cleaning up a mess that he inherited? Is he is is there something going on that with the business or oh, the dynamics? Absolutely. What's going on? Yeah, they well they they. I mean, it, there was a bit of a party going on between 2015 and 2019. Hog prices were way high. They oh, had okay. a lot of capital. They bought a, they bought Pinties. They bought uh, yeah. uh, F. Minow, yeah. uh, where I actually worked when I was a kid, uh, close mm, to Farnham, mm. for 700 million bucks. So they have a huge debt now, mm. uh, and of course they were hoping that uh, that things were were going to continue. But uh, right now, I mean, Alimel exports a lot, export to the U.S. And of course, uh, a lot of products end and end up in uh, in China, and, and mm-hmm. you probably saw what's going on in China. I mean, they're building capacity a lot, but they're and recovering they're, from a huge. Uh, what was it? A swine? There was a huge pork. Yeah, they lost a third of their herd uh, yeah. from uh, I'd say 2019 right. to 2020. Uh, but they're back now. I mean, they're actually okay. under control, and they're building major. I mean, they actually just build a 26-story hog farm, Crazy. which which can actually produce 1.2 million pigs a year. That is the amount that Alimel is cutting this year alone. Oh, interesting. One, so one farm. So it, yeah. it, so there's a number of things they built to they grew to build scale and capacity. Now, maybe they grew a bit too much, maybe? I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But. Well, they've acquired a lot. And, of course, mm. uh, in Quebec, you're dealing with the uh, Fédération des producteurs de porc, uh, the UPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they and they feel uh, 
in title to get a, a good price for their hogs. But right now, it's just not making Olimel competitive. So uh, Yannick and his team will have to negotiate with mm. hog producers in order to make Olimel um profitable again because they lost almost 400 million dollars in the last mm. two years mm. i mean that's you can't alimel is bleeding money mm. because of of the acquisitions because of 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 the macro environment right now so mm. they don't have a choice but if if i have to pick between alimel and producers because obviously there's i think there's probably about 24 2500 hog producers in quebec Hmm. I can tell you right now, not all will survive. I mean, a hmm. lot of a lot Sounds of will like disappear, and so. But you need to make sure that Alimel survives. It's hmm. it is really important that it's, it survives uh, this this bit of. A st- I don't call it a crisis. It's, it's basically a storm, and yeah, and right. I think that the gov- the government in Quebec is actually involved. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, we wish our friend uh, Yannick uh, best of luck. He's a talented uh, manager, so uh, I'm sure if, if anybody can figure it out, he and his team can. So uh, maybe we'll get him back on a little later in the year and get a get a first-hand update from uh, what's going on. Now, that was our show. Now, we have a bit of an announcement to make. Uh, um, what's going so, on with the sound effects? Uh, you had sound effects at some point. I, I know. I'm losing my mojo. Is your sound person on strike or something? No, no. It, well, let, let's see what I've got here. Um, no, you don't want that one. Oh, you see. Uh, I don't know. Here, let's have about this. Uh, there we go. There you go. There, there we well, that's go. That's a joke. Um, that was a joke. We don't have joke. a joke for people. We have an announcement. <laughs> we have an announcement. There you go. There Woo. we go. Uh, there is so much going on, and cognizant of, we want to talk to a lot of people, and there's so much going on, and we decided uh, together um, to go weekly instead of every two weeks. That weekly, we, weekly. So we're going yeah. weekly. We're up in the volume now. The good news is, like this is this this issue. Or sorry, this episode is a little long, and we kind of like to trim shorten the episodes a little bit. But there's a lot going on, and it, it, importantly, we get to talk to twice as many people, which is exactly. you know, it's such a wonderful industry, and we get to talk to a lot more people. So we're going weekly. Let's hear it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so appreciate Super you, happy. my friend. I mean, this puts a bit of bird on you that uh, you, you're a busy, you're a busy fellow. Well, it's uh, we've been it's been three years, and yeah. so I, I, I'm very comfortable with the format. And uh, to be honest, at the beginning, I, I didn't know we were going to have enough content to 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 do <laughs> like remember. a monthly podcast, yeah, really, <laughs> let alone like, a weekly one. But uh, I, I think it, what what we're doing is great. We're a, a top rated uh mm-hmm. podcasts uh, people like to us. apple yeah yeah people like us right yeah like and uh, so i'm really so and we're independent so so I, i'm really uh, i'm really pleased with with the listeners we get good great comments uh so uh, we're not we're not we're not a sponsored podcast uh and uh, we like it that way we like the freedom Mm-hmm. <laughs> the freedom is so important. Yeah. So, but it's been great doing this for. And I'm looking forward to actually. Uh, I'm looking forward to do a podcast every single week. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's like a date, <laughs> a weekly date. Well, let's call it a date. And uh, starting Fred- around around St. Valentine's Day. <laughs> there you right. go. That's right. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's leave it there. So, uh, as we often say uh, on our way out, our outro. I'm Michael LeBlanc growth consultant, podcaster, media, keynote speaker, and you are? I'm Sylvain Chalabois, the food professor. And we'll be back next week. We can now say that. We'll be back next week, 
and each and every week uh, with another episode. We got more great interviews already lined up, and uh, you know, listen, no shortage of stuff to talk about. But if something you want us to talk about that we're not, send us a note, and uh, we'll take a look at it. So, once again, appreciate you, my friend, and uh, have a, a safe week. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Take care.